like, oh, man, this, we're bringing in somebody from outside. Like, this is, right, just sometimes that just lets you down. Um, and so sometimes you hear of somebody and they come, you know, their reputation precedes them. Their reputation shows up before they do. And so you have these big expectations and then they just kind of let you down, right? Uh, other times, though, it happens the other way, right? Like you're, you're having a meeting or you're getting together and you're, or you're building a team and something happened. Like the guy that like slides into the back and is maybe a little bit late and maybe not dressed quite right or maybe doesn't look like you think he or she, she should, they, they end up being the smartest person in the room, right? And you're like, so sometimes those expectations really mess us up. You see, assumptions about people can get us in trouble, can't they? Right? So we make assumptions, again, both directions, and they get us in trouble. But typically, it's not that big a deal, right? Time just kind of has a way of working out most of the assumptions that we make about other people. So a lot of times, the best thing we can do is just kind of slow ourselves down, not rush to judgments. Your mother, your grandmother might have told you, don't judge a book by its cover. Like, let's Let's read a couple chapters first. So time has a way of working some of these things out. But maybe you've also made some assumptions about Jesus. We just sang a beautiful song, The Goodness, The Goodness of Jesus. Uh, One of the lines in there was uh, that something about like everything he said has come true. I forget exactly. If you think of it, shout it out. But he is all he said he would be. Right. So we make some assumptions about what that means. Like, what did Jesus say about himself? What did he say about what it means to follow him? But if we're not careful, we'll just kind of get ahead of ourselves and we'll make some assumptions about Jesus. Maybe you think that if you were to be a part of the kingdom of God, that you should fill a certain role. Right. You may come in and you think, well, I'm pretty special. Right. I. I've done some things in life, so if I'm going to join the kingdom of God, I need to have this particular seat at the table. Or you may come in and say, I'm not worthy of anything, and so I need to be the person sitting in back, and I I can't do anything except fill that role. So we have some assumptions about who Jesus is, and we have some assumptions about what role we should fill in the kingdom of God. The title for the sermon this morning is, What is Discipleship? What is discipleship? And we're not going to see a whole, you know, long, lengthy explanation about discipleship, but it will be, I think what you'll see, is a very powerful one. In our passage this morning, we're going to meet some folks who have made some assumptions about Jesus, some assumptions about what following Jesus might look like, and Jesus is going to cut through all of that with some powerful statements about discipleship, right? It's not, it's not exhaustive, but they are powerful statements about discipleship. So pick it up with me in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruits. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. God, would you help us to see you as you truly are? Would you help us to see the reality of who Jesus is and what it will look like to follow him? In Jesus' name, amen. So the text this morning is going to break pretty neatly into three sections. We're going to walk through the three sections by asking three questions. What have you heard What do you seek and what will it mean? So you'll notice in verses 12 through 19, my question to you is what have you heard? What have you heard about Jesus? So if you remember at this time as we see this scene at the beginning of our passage, they're going to praise Jesus. They're going to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord So remember at this time, the nation of Israel, they are a long way from the heyday of Israel, right? They're a long way. The heyday of Israel was a united kingdom under King David, like the end of David's reign is a kind of the heyday of Israel or like the first part of Solomon's reign. So it's a united kingdom. They have one king and the king is ruling relatively well. You read the story and you're like, eh, the beginning of David's kingdom doesn't go real well. The end of Solomon's does not go well. But that's the heyday of Israel, kind of the end of David, the beginning of Solomon. But in this scene that we jump into in John 12, that's not where we are at all. You see, instead, they're a kingdom that is occupied by Rome. They have religious leaders that are able to And they're able to live out a lot of the Jewish law from the Old Testament. But they're also under the rule of Caesar. They are paying taxes 
to the Roman government. They're paying taxes to Caesar. And worse, Caesar, the Roman government, has employed Jews to collect the taxes on behalf of this occupying country, right? So a lot of times we talk about tax collectors and we're like, oh, they they took more money than they needed. Well, the other problem is that they were working for the Roman government, so the Gentile Roman government. The other thing that's happening is that they're keeping, uh, the Roman government is keeping peace with strict authoritarian rule. There's Roman soldiers on every corner, secular, Gentile, Roman soldiers on every corner, keeping the peace. And Jesus, at this point in his ministry, many people have heard that Jesus is the Messiah, like we just sang about. Jesus, Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the chosen one. They have heard that Messiah is going to rule as their king, and there's Old Testament passages that would point them to this. Jesus shows up, and he's the ruling, reigning king, and it all happens all at the same time. So they've heard that Messiah is going to rule as their king. They've heard that, hey, this must be the end of Roman rule. This must be the end of the occupiers coming and being on every corner. Once Jesus takes his rightful seat as king, all of this will be over. The crowds in uh, 12 through 15, they've heard that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem during Passover week. Ah, this must be the time. Perhaps Jesus is going to lead us out of our current oppression. Oh, it's going to be like the heyday. It's going to be like the old day. It's going to be when, like when Moses led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. These crowds had heard a lot about Jesus, and they were excited. They were to be free, and Jesus was going to free them. There were others not just the crowds who hailed him on what is Palm Sunday of Passover week. There's others who are spreading witness about Jesus, that Jesus called Lazarus out from the tomb, right? So Lazarus was dead, and they, Jesus went and called Lazarus out of the tomb, and so they were spreading witness about this. And so there were crowds who were coming to Jesus. In verse 18, John tells us why they were coming. The reason, verse 18, the reason the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign of bringing Lazarus out of the tomb. Ah, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, they told others. This is the guy who can raise people from the dead. Then, of course, there's the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Verse 19, they say to one another, "Ah, you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's world's following him. You're not gaining anything. You see, they they figured it out. They made some observations about Jesus, and they had it all figured out. Or so they thought. So I've got to ask, what have you heard about Jesus? What have you heard about him? Have you heard that, oh, Jesus, he's, he's the king, right? Maybe... Maybe you've heard some overzealous uh, people who claim to be Christians, and they'll say, ah, this is a Christian nation, and we just need this nation to be more and more Christian, and we need more and more Christians in leadership. And maybe we do, but it might be an overly simplistic view of things. 
Maybe you've heard that Jesus is going to free you from your current bondage. Whatever it is that's embondaging you or enslaving you. Maybe you've heard that Jesus is going to wave some magical miracle over your life. And he's going to rid you from all the bad stuff and make all the bad people go away from your life. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've heard that he does signs and miracles. And so you said, God, if you're real, just show me a sign. I need a sign. I need to see a sign or a miracle that you're true. And so maybe you've come here because you've heard that there there will be a sign or a miracle. Or maybe you're like the Pharisees and you've just kind of discounted Jesus because you've taken a cursory look at things and you've kind of evaluated things at a surface level and you've said, I know what that's all about. No thanks. Right? Just from a cursory surface level examination. If any of these things are what you've heard about Jesus, I would encourage you to stay tuned. Stay tuned for the rest of this sermon. Stay tuned for the rest of this preaching series as you guys are working through John. Because Jesus is the greater Moses who is going to lead his people out of slavery. Right? That's, that is what he is. However, first, he is going to be the sacrificial Passover lamb. He's going to die a sacrificial substitutionary death, paying the penalty for the sins of his people. And Jesus is able to do miracles, even raising people from death to life. But first, he's going to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And you may have discounted Jesus because you heard a few things about him. I encourage you to study him further. Read all of John. You don't have to wait till like the sermon series plays out. You could go home and read through the book of John for yourself. You could join uh, another Christian and have them read through the book of John with you. Hang around this church. Hang around people that have trusted that Jesus is who he says that he is. I want you to notice that understanding Jesus takes some time, right? This is not, I'm not going to solve all of this in one sermon. Notice that it takes some time. Notice verse 16. Verse 16, his disciples, the guys that were hanging around him for a long time, they did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to them, done to him, right? So they saw this, and they're like, and it was after the fact, like, oh, this is what was written about in the Old Testament about Jesus. Ah, now I see what was going on. I didn't see it at the time. Time needed to pass. More things needed to be fulfilled for them to get it. There's always been misunderstandings about Jesus, always. This is a big theme of John's gospel, Right? John writes his gospel after all the other gospel accounts have been written. Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, had all been written and they were being circulated around the churches. And the apostle John later on in life writes some things to clarify some things that were already being misunderstood about Jesus. So there's lots of misunderstandings about Jesus. And John is attempting to clarify many of the misunderstandings that the early church had. 
even though I am a guest preacher this morning, I know this church well enough that if you have misunderstandings about Jesus, if you have questions about Jesus, this is a safe place to come and join and be a part of and ask your questions, right? Come week after week and, and then say, hey, who's somebody I can like meet with on a regular basis and ask my questions? Like, y'all are talking too fast, and I just I got some questions about these things. This is a safe place for you to learn and to grow and examine this Jesus. The second question is, what do you seek? What do you seek? In verses 20 through 22, what do you seek? What happens in verse 20 and following is that some Greeks come and they ask to see Jesus. They come to inquire about Jesus. And John is likely using this word Greeks to talk about non-Jews who were, who were kind of interested in the Jewish practice of their faith, right? They were just kind of interested. They were showing up Passover week. They wanted to see what was going on. They were very interested in these things. They were curious seekers. But notice what they seek. They seek to see Jesus. They want to see him. They want to uh, probably ask him some questions. They want to get to know him. And so what do they do? They don't go straight to Jesus. They don't call out from the crowds. They go to one of Jesus' disciples, and they ask Philip if they can see Jesus. And then Philip is like, whoa, uh, I don't know. And so Philip goes and finds Andrew, and I imagine, the text doesn't tell us, but I imagine Andrew's like, I don't know, let's go ask Jesus. And so they go ask Jesus. It's kind of an interesting moment, right? Uh, Philip is a, a bit of an interesting character, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't give us a whole lot about Philip in their gospel accounts. Uh, they basically give us his name and where he's from, and that's about it. But John, in his gospel account, actually gives us some really interesting information about Philip. See, back in John chapter 1, John shows Philip to be a bit of an evangelist. You see, the first thing that Philip does when he decides to follow Jesus, he, he follows Jesus, and then he, like, leaves Jesus. And he goes to find Nathaniel, and he says, Hey, Nathaniel, I, I actually found the Messiah. I found Jesus. I think this Jesus of Nazareth, I think he's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, Whoa, 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 can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip doesn't say yes, and here's why, and here's an Old Testament you know, prophecy. No, 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 no. He says, oh, come and see, right? It, literally, that's his evangelistic plea. I think I found the guy. Really, is that the guy? Oh, let's come and see. Right? It's that simple. We see this over and over again. Uh, in John chapter 6, we see that Philip's a pretty simple guy, right? Uh, Philip is the, the disciple. Jesus turns to Philip. There's like a big, massive crowd, 5,000 men, which means there's probably 15, 20,000 people in this crowd. And Jesus like goes over to Philip. How are we going to feed all these guys? And Philip's like, that ain't even possible. There, there's no possible way we could go buy enough bread to feed all these people. And I have to imagine Jesus says, Watch this. Right? And so he feeds, miraculously feeds the 5,000. And then 
John records, Jesus gives us the point of the whole thing, and he says, I am the bread of life. And so Philip's there for that. And again, pretty simple. Later in John 14, you'll get there later, a conversation between Jesus and Philip. Again, a very simple conversation between Jesus and Philip sparks another discourse where Jesus, for a couple chapters, is going to explain the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Philip's a, a really great character. He's a simple guy. He's a genuine guy. He's a disciple of Jesus. He has this evangelistic bent. He's good friends with Andrew. They came from the same town even before uh, Philip and Andrew were disciples. Greeks come up to Philip and they ask to see Jesus. Philip gets Andrew and they go to talk about it. It's, it's a pattern that we see of Philip's life. So perhaps you're here and you're curious to see Jesus. right? And like when I say things like go read the whole book of John, you're like, whoa. Uh, yeah, I, I, I struggled to get through like Zion and like, you know, disciples and Lazarus. Like I, I'm going to need some help with this. I just wonder if you know a Christian like Philip that would just has a simple faith, seems to, you have a relationship with them, they seem like they know Jesus, but in a simple way, and man, you can just like build a relationship with them, you can just say something as simple as like, man, I, I want to know more, can you teach me more? I, I've got some questions about what all that stuff that happened on Sunday, like dude prayed for some other church, that was weird, like we sang songs and we were like clapping and doing stuff. We even, like, we, we got a little history lesson about a missionary that lived a long time ago. Like, that was, that was weird. Then a guy stood up and talked for, like, 45 minutes about some ancient book. Like, that was weird. I got a lot of questions. Can you help me through this? Right. Or maybe you're here and you're like, Philip, you're just a simple follower of Jesus that loves people and wants them to know Jesus, too. Like, I, I just want you to understand, Philip's like, I don't know, let's go find out. Like, I just love that. I just love, like, if our evangelism was that simple sometimes, like, I don't know, let's go find out, right? Like, if we just did that, if we just got that far to say, I don't know, let's go find out, uh, we would be way better evangelists. This brings us to the next point. So if we're, if you're going to do this, and you're going to say, all right, I want to figure out this Jesus. I want to learn some more things. Or, hey, I've got some folks that I want to learn some more about Jesus. The third question we're going to talk about is, what will it all mean? What will it mean? Uh, verses 23 through 26, what will it mean? Jesus cuts through the noise. He's not fooled, right? He's watching all of it. Some people want him to be a political king. You don't think Jesus doesn't know that, doesn't figure that out. Other people want him to be a healer and a miracle worker, right? After he feeds the 5,000 in one of the gospel accounts, it says that uh, crowds were coming to him and the disciples were like, look at all the crowds. He's like, they just want more bread, right? Some have dismissed him too early. They've written him off. Others are 
just curious. They want to add Jesus to their long list of gods that they already acknowledge. Right? I was uh, had a relationship with a uh, Hindu at one point, and uh, I was like, hey, do you think Jesus is God? Yeah, sure. How many other gods do you think there are? Yeah, a few thousand. Right? It's okay. Like, it, just add, If you've got a few thousand gods, adding one more really isn't that big a problem. But Jesus is going to cut through just all of that. All of that noise, he's going to cut through. Philip shows up, and he thinks he's asking a yes or no question. Hey, some people want to see you. Are you going to talk to them? Can they come see you? What's going to go on? That sounds like a yes or no question, right? Jesus cuts through all of the noise. It's so beautiful. So pick it up in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So if you're curious, like, what's it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? This is one of the places, one of the explanations of what that looks like. I think one of the, if, if you're like me, I was saved, I was 20 years old when I was saved. And one of the big fears that I had, I, I didn't know any Christians. I had left my home, my Christian home, left mom and dad. I went off to college. I went to a secular college, not a Christian college. And immediately for two years, I built a friend network that loved sin as much or more as I did. And so my entire friend work just loved sin and we loved sinning together somewhere deep down inside, I was really lonely. Like, I'd be at parties and be lonely. And when I started to consider the faith that I was raised in and consider Jesus for real, I had to die to that to truly be part of a community, part of the community of God, right? So all of those quote-unquote friends that I had, I had to die to that to see true community, right? A grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, and it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit, right? And we are brought into the community of God, and we're able to be fruitful. Also, he says, it looks like hating the life of this current world, and receiving eternal life, right? So you have some, like, this is a pretty young church. Did y'all know that? Like, you're just like average age of the church is pretty young, right? So you probably have some plans in life, right? Like, you imagine what life's going to be. Some of you, that's like some real vague ideas, Others of you, you've got like a written out 25-year plan. It might be a spreadsheet. It might be a business plan. It might be something, whatever it is. But you've got some ideas about what life is going to look like. 
what discipleship is, is you take all that and you at least hold it in a loose hand. But I would just say the best thing to do is just, that's, that's a really interesting picture of my life. I'm going to throw that away. All right, Jesus, what do you got for me? It's crazy. Like, when I hear introductions of myself sometimes, I'm like, it's so crazy. This is not what we pictured. When we met, not what we pictured at all. And a lot of it is just taking different things that we thought about life and just throw it away. All right, God, what do you got? What do you got? We have to hate the life of this current world to receive eternal life. Also, if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to go and follow and serve and do the types of things that Jesus does. If you're curious, the next thing that Jesus is going to talk about is being lifted up, which is a foreshadowing to his crucifixion. And then the next thing he's going to do, he's going to get his disciples around and he's going to wash their feet in chapter 13. They're dirty, nasty feet. We played a game at the marriage conference the other uh, last night or Friday night, I guess, right, where, where uh, the husbands and wives had to, like, take off a shoe and hand it to each other, right, and they were doing it. And uh, there, I saw a few, like, do I really want my husband's shoe? Like, ugh, right? But, no, 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 Jesus got down and washed his disciples' dirty, nasty feet. He served them. And that was on his way to go and sacrifice by execution, by crucifixion, lay down his life. Jesus says later on, he didn't, nobody took his life from it. He laid it down. He gave it up. And so if we're going to live a life of following Jesus, it is a life of self-sacrifice. It is a life self-sacrifice on behalf of others for the glory of God. So where are you in, in all this, right? What's God doing in your life this morning? What assumptions did you walk in here with, right? What assumptions about Jesus did you walk in here with? What assumptions about following Jesus did you walk in here with? And these things are being confronted. And what are you going to do about it? Perhaps you need to turn from your current life for the first time. You need to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel for the first time. You need to repent from doing what you want and building your name and instead live for God's glory and not your own. Myself or one of the pastors of this church would love to talk to you about that. We would just... Love nothing more. We're going to, like, start thinking about logistics and, like, where are we going to eat and all that other stuff that everybody else is. But we would much rather stop and talk to you about this than anything else we're going to do today. Perhaps you need to tell somebody else about Jesus. When I was describing Philip and just the simple come and see evangelistic call, maybe somebody popped into your mind. And you need to have a conversation with them. Say, hey, you know this crazy Christianity thing? This, this following Jesus thing? Like, do you want to know more about that? Would you come with me to church next week? Would you come with me to this thing that we're doing? Would you be all right if I just, like, started reading the Bible to you? 
and you ask me questions, and just so you know, a bunch of times you're going to ask me a question, I'm going to be like, I don't know, let's go find out. Maybe you need to do that. Perhaps you need to get serious about reading the Bible for yourself. Discipline yourself to regular church gathering. Maybe you've been just kind of in and out, right? There's lots of excuses to be in and out. There's like snow kind of on the ground out there. There's a pandemic. There's, there's lots of reasons to not gather with the church. Lots of reasons. But maybe you need to discipline yourself to regularly gathering with the church. So what is it, what is it for you? You see, we make a lot of assumptions about people that we've not yet met. We do it to other people. Other people do it to us. And usually it doesn't matter too much. But this one, the assumptions we make about Jesus and what it means to follow him matter. We have to examine it. We've got to learn it. Figure out who he is. What did he say about himself? Let us not make assumptions about Jesus. Let us work to learn about who he truly is. And let us tell others truly about him. Right? Speak what he said about himself. Don't just make stuff up. Right? See what he said about himself. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for your word and its clarity. God, thank you for those who are gathered here. God, I pray that you would help us even as we continue in our time together this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lay on our minds what we need to do in response to the preaching of your word. God, as we sing songs together, that you would, maybe there's a phrase in a song that'll just be an earworm for us for the rest of the day, and we just ponder on that truth. But God, I pray that you would help us not leave here the same way that we came in, that we would leave here changed and be more conformed to your image and your likeness. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.